Today's episode of the Triple Threat Podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Eat Your Coffee. Energize the moment with Eat Your Coffee, a coffee company that was founded by coffee-deprived college students at Boston's Northeastern University. Today, the company is on a mission to get people energized with tasty caffeinated snacks. Every Eat Your Coffee bar is caffeinated with fair trade coffee, comparable to one cup, and is made with real ingredients so you can feel good with every energizing bite. And as always, energize the moment with Eat Your Coffee. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great-great-grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise and he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. on the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by this feisty man, JP John Paz, on the two-man power trip. But on this show, with his holiday cheer in full swing, with his red Santa Claus cap on, I'm sure, he is sitting there by the roaring fire. He is the one and only Jingle Bell himself, franchise Shane Douglas. Shane, welcome into episode number 76. Bah, ho, 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 humbug. <laughs> Let's get a roll, man. I'm ready to have fun with this one. I'm, it's a merry time of year, right? Merry Xmas. I mean, we're allowed to say that these days. I, and there's been this war on Christmas, right? We're allowed to say that anymore. So let's roll right into it. And as I understand, one certain member of the uh, Triple Thread podcast uh, team here is maybe imbibing with a little spiked... Uh, eggnog a little early so i think we're gonna have some fun with this one <laughs> well john what happens when the spiked eggnog starts to kick in does it, do you get a little more feisty or do you start to spout out some uh, wrestling trivia oh no i start to get more feisty and uh, maybe tell some tales of sabu and and different things of that nature <laughs> Woo-hoo, let's do it <laughs> <laughs> see sounds to me like sabu owes us an interview oh he does i know that for a fact he does <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, he didn't blow you guys off, did he? No, no. 
No, he's one of those guys that John consistently has like in the Rolodex of, all right, he owes us one, so I'm going to go back to him when we we need to get somebody. And I think like we're always like I get like a million texts like, hey, we got him, and then like you know, then we get nothing. So he'll be there one day. I'm, we know he'll be there, right, John? He'll be there one day. He will most surprisingly show up and probably have a lot of bad things to say about Shane. Whoa. It'll be, it'll be fun. It'll be a good one. That's okay. I get to, this being my podcast, I get to rebut anything. So <laughs> have, have at it. <laughs> well, like we said, this is the holiday edition here, and we got the last episode uh, that's uh, live or being pre recorded here in 2018. We're going to close the books on a high note. We're going to talk a little. ECW Holiday Hell, the uh, the time honored tradition there during the holiday season for a couple years in ECW. You took part in a couple of them. We will get to that in a few minutes. Seeing some uh, fans talking about Holiday Hell was pretty cool because uh, it's an event that I don't know why they didn't keep going with it. They just kind of stopped it. And I know you guys had some holiday tours, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute here. But uh, a little maintenance. I want to throw this out there again. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. We want to get the Triple Threat Podcast Twitter account uh, really pumping. And uh, we have a really cool Dynamic Dudes 8x10 signed by the franchise here that we want to give away to somebody. But we got to get over 1,000 followers first. So if you haven't done so yet, please stop by the Triple Threat Podcast Twitter. It's at the 3 Threat Pod. We have a lot of great interaction. For the amount of interaction we have on there, we should be over 5,000 followers. But I don't know what it is. Uh, people are being lazy. They just like the, uh, the, the the content that we're throwing on there. And uh, click the old follow button if you haven't. But um, we want to give away this photo. We will give it away, I'm thinking, here in 2019. So uh, if you haven't done so yet, throw us a follow. We'd appreciate that. Do we have the ability to know who the thousandth person is? We can, yeah. We, we can actually see that because you see how the, the, the followers kind of stack themselves. So uh, what... Once we do it, we'll... Then let's sweeten this pot. Whoever the thousandth person is will get a uh, the autographed picture of the dynamic dude, uh, otherwise known as a young, handsome, virile franchise, Shane Douglas, and a Merry Christmas phone call. But it's got to be within the next 48 hours from the posting of this show. So if somebody hits that thousandth button by the 48th hour, they'll get a call from... Some guy I know named Shane Douglas. Not the Shane Douglas. Just like, no, seriously, I'll call the person. We'll have a nice little Christmas uh, uh, milieu. All right. How about that, huh? Wow. I think I'm already following the account. So, damn, I think I'm disqualified. <laughs> see, see I'm, I'm in the spirit of giving. It's ho, 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 Christmas. Let's have fun. Yeah, let's have a little bit of fun here. But <laughs> the fun started with this show a couple hours ago just by uh, <laughs> by chance, you know, we don't really. We weren't going to talk about anything WWE related this week. This was going to be all ECW Holiday Hell, but is anybody still watching them? How many? Hey, what a what a great company! They're setting records every week. Oh, wait a second, I misread that. They're setting records for the all time lowest viewership in Raw history. How many times in the last year have they done that? But one thing you can say about them is they're damn consistent. <laughs> Consistently crappy. Setting records left and right. But the, the kind of the funny thing is, I mean, look, and I know that the guy is, uh, he's starting to get up there in age. And obviously age is a bitch. But, you know, we, uh, we can see some parallels uh, these days with uh, the chairman of the board there at WWE. The guy who was supposed to shake things up in the WWE this week, um, 
Shane, you had the great observation, but uh, I, I got to say, I think uh, that <laughs> I think Mr. McMahon is turning from um, Mr. Vince from Mr. Grinch to Mr. Vince. I think that the transformation is nearly complete. I'm I'm telling you, when you look at that picture that you sent me earlier, and then you look at the the gift that I sent you back, now you tell me that there is not a hell of a semblance of a uh, uh, resemblance between those two pictures. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying, I didn't create it. I just was sort of flipping through and saw the Grinch picture, and I thought, my God, that looks an awful lot like that picture that the Chaster just sent me of Vince McMahon. Maybe we'll post it on the, uh, can we do that? I mean, I'm, I'm spurting out all the stuff about <clears throat> our capabilities. Can we post that picture in the GIF uh, on the uh, Triple Threat page? Oh, we will. You, you can rest assured that will be happening. <laughs> Vincent McGrinchman. <laughs> <laughs> can you give us a, a can you give us a one line from the song but work uh, Mr. Vincent instead of Mr. Grinch? <laughs> He's a mean one. Mr. Vince, he, 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 <laughs> maybe I'll, I'm going to work on something. I'll have something about my Christmas because I got some pretty good ideas floating around in my head. Just can't quite coalesce them yet, but something about welfare company, something about not saying hello to people that have worked for your company for 22 years. Uh, I don't know. I'll come up with something else. You know, it's funny. I mean, all those years, and especially you always talk about it, how he wouldn't refer to ECW by name, and he would say, you know, the bingo hall company and this and that. They'd be lucky to be running in bingo halls because they're tarping so much of these arenas that they're basically fitting in to a a large shows, only a couple thousand fans. So bingo halls, you know what? I hate to break it to you. You might turn a better profit on your shows by what you invest in them if you run in a smaller building. Yeah. Or here's maybe an idea. Just put on a goddamn good show that the fans want to see instead of that crap they've been putting out. Uh, you know, there's a, here's, a, here's a little telltale thing about television ratings. When they're going up, you can pretty much surmise that you're putting out a good product. When you're setting record lows multiple times in a single year, uh, there's probably something in the quality of the programming. Again, I'm not blaming the kids because they ain't writing the show. Uh, go into that writer's room. Go to Mr. McMahon because every one of us knows that anything that makes air has been approved by the Mr. McGrinchman himself, and that's why it made air. Now, you take any of those shows that I can tell you on paper, if you handed me that paper 48 hours before they aired it, I would tell you that show is going to suck and the ratings are going to suck. Uh, this ain't quantum physics. And like Bill Watts used to say, we ain't splicing the atom, we ain't curing cancer. Uh, this is pretty simple, straightforward stuff. And yet somehow they continue to figure out how to best their own worst week after week, if that makes sense. Astounding. But you know what? Kudos to the fans. To everybody listening that has finally said I've had enough and tuned out, I would have loved to have seen this happen five years ago or at least pre these billion-dollar deals that he's gotten, because I want Fox Sports and NBC Universal to take a real good look at what they've signed up billions of dollars to get. Because my guess is, for the last 13 years, every subsequent year has been lowering the ratings, 
And if you recall at the beginning of this podcast, I said at this time next year, they'll be lower than they are now, and they are. And next year at this time, they'll be lower than they are now. So uh, let's just sit back and watch and enjoy because as Mr. Grinchman (laughs) fucks it up, (laughs) this is going to be great. Shane, you know how they say the Grinch stole Christmas, but the Vince stole wrestling. Yeah, right? No, he he stole sports entertainment, hijacked it. He put wrestling uh, on the shelf. You haven't seen professional wrestling in 20 years plus. And I, I would surmise, from what I just said about the ratings, that maybe, just possibly, spitballing here, uh, potentially, the wrestling fans have finally said, fuck it, I've had enough of this bullshit, and have tuned out. Welcome to the game, Fox Sports. It's going to cost you $1.2 billion. <laughs> discount rate. <laughs> the, uh, the rumor is that Fox Sports wants them in the threes. So I guess if you go back and you find some shows that total the three, maybe they can just broadcast those back to back to back, and then they get their three. Yeah. I was going to say, that's easy. Just, just air it every night, and cumulatively, you'll probably get a round of two and a half to 2.7. Just under three, but close. Yeah, that's five days added up. <laughs> I wonder if lo- I wonder if locally it could be the lead-in for some of those like uh, religious uh, <laughs> infomercials, <laughs> <laughs> or the uh, the air fryer uh, infomercial, or it'd be a good lead-in for that. Yeah, but then again, they might not. They may not sell as many as they typically do. So they're, they're probably. Uh, Right now, the people that make the air fryer go, well, please don't don't suggest that somebody's liable to take you up on it. <laughs> <laughs> Although we would love to advertise an air fryer on the show, so if anybody markets air fryers, we would love to uh, <laughs> we love to promote an air fryer on this show. That'd be fantastic. Hey, I use air fryers quite often in the in the uh, franchise abode, and they do work pretty well. That's, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm saying. That's what I'm getting my wife for Christmas. So there you go, <laughs> air fryers, oh, baby. Oh, yeah. You're gonna have a bad New Year's, brother. If you get, if you get the missus a an air fryer, you're gonna have a bad. I got the missus one time a a spot cleaner, like a carpet cleaner for Christmas. Didn't go over real well. It was <laughs> not considered to be the sexy type gift I typically would give. Uh, <laughs> I think that's part about the time the marriage was heading south. Anyway, it might have been just a fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what can I say? I'm all about timing. So, speaking of timing. And talking about the WWE ratings, just briefly, we wanted to talk about Mr. Vince or Mr. Grinchman or the the Vince that stole wrestling. But I just want to also dial it back to last week where we talked about the NWA. I mean, just, you know, hilarious feedback from people who agree with you, Shane. And, um, you know, we're seeing it pop up on the sheets throughout the weekend. It just it's funny to hear it back. Some of the stuff that you're saying, the miserable failure. Uh, People agree with you. So you're not far off the mark. So uh, just know that those franchise fanatics out there, uh, everybody is kind of feeling the same vein that you are. Well, yeah, hey, I, just a little sidebar here off the subject for a second. Uh, I, I want to apologize, everybody. It's been some time since I've been on my Twitter account, and now that I've got you know a, a few weeks off before I'm back out of the road, uh, the plan is to dig back in there and get back in. So if you've set a question... Uh, if you've posted uh, something on there, I've not responded. Uh, it's only been because I've been, as Chad and JP know, I've been tied up with 
insane deers that have been wrecking my cars and you know, and, and evil uh, business entrepreneurs that are uh, you know trying to rip my son off. Little things like that that have sort of distracted my attention, but. I will be back on Twitter in force uh, in the next week, 10 days, and look forward to catching up with everybody. Yeah, no, absolutely. Everybody's clamoring for it. I mean, we see a couple of those questions a week. When is he coming back, and when is he uh, going to be in full effect? But, uh, hey, there you heard it from the, uh, from the horse's mouth instead of the horse's patoot. So uh, <laughs> we can move on here. Let's talk about some fun stuff. Let's talk about ECW Holiday Hell. Now, when I think of ECW and I think of the Christmas season, my favorite thing that does come to mind is the BWO in Times Square where uh, Santa Claus eats a, uh, a Stevie kick by the end of it. So that is my favorite ECW Christmas memory. But the ECW Holiday Hell Tour, it's always great to see those pop up. And Shane, if you can, just kind of walk us back down memory lane here. We're going to go through the cards that you were on and the matches that you were in on these shows but do you have any memories of ECW's holiday hell shows? Well, much like everything we did in ECW, we, you know, I just saw Todd Gordon this past weekend and wrestled two cold Scorpio. And, uh, you know, and we were talking about how John Finnegan was there uh, as well. And we were talking about how, you know, anytime we walk into any venue and, and you see somebody from ECW, it's like a family reunion. And the reason for that was, it was the only place in my career. Uh, don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I I've always loved being in the ring and performing, and that didn't matter what promotion it was for, even WWF, if I can if you can believe that. Uh, but in ECW it was different. Uh, on Wednesday, uh, which happens to be the day we're recording this, you'd start getting excited because you knew the day after tomorrow you're going to get to be in front of those insane ECW fans again. And the holiday hell just was like a ramp up of that. You know, we always had the November to remember show that was like our big cap off of the year, <clears throat> but it also was as much as it was an ending to multiple storylines. It was the beginning to new storyline that would typically feed into the holiday hell tours that we would do that would go around. So, you know, it was just like, a, you know, for us, like a, a time continuum that just looped over and over again. So even though, you know, you may be wrapping up a major storyline that you were involved in a major angle at uh, November to remember, you were now getting to step right out of that big event and moving into the holiday hell tour and, you know, really looking forward to it. Uh, you know, it's it, this time of year for uh, I've always been a big mark for Christmas. You know, so this time of year, it was always, you know, you're always in a little bit better mood than you typically would be otherwise, uh, you know, but going to work at ECW was always a treat and, you know, add to that element, add to that, the element that now you're doing this holiday hell tour, uh, with the ECW family in front of the ECW insane motherfucking fans, uh, just really made it doubly exciting. So, you know, let's, let's go through it. So you arrived back, well, for the first time in ECW in, in around the spring of 1993. So obviously with the Holiday Hell show taking place in December, you know, you're coming up now on your first calendar year closing with ECW and you're getting the lay of the land. And at ECW's Holiday Hell 1993, 
you taking on Tommy Dreamer and what could be one of your first singles matches with Tommy Dreamer. But before we get into the match itself, kind of did you look at it as a closing of the first year of ECW? And did you know what to expect going forward after December of 93? No, no. I, that, the, the one thing in hindsight about ECW, and I just mentioned this to Todd Gordon, uh, was that as much fun as it was, and it always was, uh, you know, it, it was always work. Don't get me wrong. It, you know, you, you were always taking your angles and your matches seriously, you know, to push that envelope as much as we would push it in ECW. Uh, but there was never a time, at least from my perspective, that, hey, we'd arrived. There was always more work to do ahead. So it was like always nose to the grindstone type of thing. Uh, I rarely, if ever, thought like this is an anniversary or... Uh, to this day, I'll, you know, people call me and they'll say, Hey, do you know what we were doing 25 years ago today or 20 years ago? No idea. But as soon as they tell me, it, you know, brings all those memories flooding right back. Uh, the, I, we had no idea. None of us. I remember Terry Funk and I talked quite routinely about this was how much longer before ECW fizzles out. And the one part of the equation that we had no way of gauging or measuring was the fan involvement. Keep in mind, I mean, this is in the early days of the uh, internet. We knew that we had a presence there. We knew that there were fans talking about us in multiple locations around the world. What we didn't know was the vociferous nature of that. You know, how, you know, desperately these fans were trading tapes uh, of events, uh, stories of what they had seen at shows and i think that really was the backbone of what has created this ecw legend that persists today uh that people back then you couldn't just push a button on your computer and get ecw and you couldn't just flip on you know abc network or xyz network and get it uh so you had to sort of fight to get it uh, dig to find it and in doing that it created a loyalty among the fans that you don't see in any other network. You don't hear fans today chanting NWA or UWF or even WWF, but you do still hear them chanting ECW. And that I believe that's the reason why uh, it was hard to find then, but the fans did. They dug to find it, uh, which shows you just, you know, how incredibly faithfully loyal those fans were to ECW. The fans that we always, I always call them the sixth man on the bench because without them, ECW would never have become what it has become. Uh, they're the reason that all this time later, we're still talking about ECW, this little company that could in this shitty, filthy cockroach infested bingo hall somehow change wrestling in many ways for the better and in some ways for the worse. Uh, but it left an indelible mark on the wrestling industry. And as far as the angle with Tommy Dreamer going into that, you know, at this time, you know, Tommy is still a young guy in the business, still green uh, in many ways. And, but you could see in him, he had the heart of a lion. Like there's, you know, you go back and you watch him take those cane shots from Sandman, right? And, and you can see what heart Tommy Dreamer had. And, you know, from a heel standpoint, having a baby face like that to work with 
tells you that you've got a lot of clay there that you can mold. There's a, there's an awful lot you can do with that. And so from that standpoint, uh, I can remember getting ready to work with him, you know, like running things through my head, like what, what, you know, may, maybe too much, what's too little. Uh, but knowing that you had a guy that had a connection to the fans, a baby face that has a connection to the fans is, is, is a heel's dream. And oh my gosh, before he grew in that goatee, I mean, he was, <laughs> he was about as fresh faced and uh, white meat as they come <laughs> when it comes to uh, a baby face, but not only competing in that match, like I said, could be one of the first singles matches that you guys had, but you also, I'm, I, I doesn't have you listed on there in what I saw, but the lights out battle Royal at the end of the night, I'm going to assume that you were in that as well. But for those that don't know what a lights out battle Royal is, could you explain that concept? <laughs> you got me. I mean, it's a, I, I remember having my, what, no, I don't recall, uh, other than having them, but you know, it's, uh, I, I mean, because there were so many things we had done in each other. We had, I remember one time we had done something where we were all wearing hoods. Uh, and, uh, you know, other times where, you know, you know, Paul was always throwing curveballs like that, you know, trying different things. So I, I, I don't recall what they are. So you feel free to take the floor and tell me. I, I got to be honest with you. I haven't seen one in a long time. I was getting it confused with the King of the Hill Battle Royal. So I'm going to assume, and we'll, we'll get JP in here, the resident historian. John, Lights Out Battle Royal, I'm assuming exactly what the name uh, calls for with the Lights Out. No, usually when they say Lights Out, it usually means no rules. So you're kind of maybe taking it a little too literally there. So it's just a kind of a no rules battle royal where anything goes. Actually, I think what it was was we turned all the lights out. And then we would all stand in the ring. We'd stamp our feet and yell, ouch, and ow, and stop that shit. And then the lights would come on and somebody would be pinned in the middle of the ring. <laughs> nah, just kidding. ECW, so, I mean, maybe. <laughs> hey, anything goes. It's the end of the night. I mean, my God, come on. <laughs> but uh, one, qual- one follow-up I had on that was the rest of the card for 93. Just really quick, just to, just to kind of give you an idea. Like you mentioned, Terry Funk versus Sabu for the ECW title, Pat Tanaka versus Rocco Rock, Mr. Hughes versus the Sandman, Shane versus Dreamer, Kevin Sullivan and the Tasmaniac versus JT Smith, and a John uh, J.P. Paz favorite, Tommy Cairo. So there you go. There's some of the participants <laughs> in Holiday Hell 93. Sounds like a typical ECW lineup. <laughs> I, I used it. to love the Iron Man, uh, Tommy Cairo. What about you, Shane? Were you a, a fan of him? Yeah, I, 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 Tommy's a good guy. Yeah, I always got along great with him. Uh, he always worked hard. Uh, but there, you know, it got to a point in ECW where, and I don't want to sound cruel with this. I, I just, you know, just, just from a fan standpoint, from from me being a fan of the business, I mean, you could see as you know, with each you know turn of the uh, of an event, you know, so like this month, the next month, the month after you would see this, this slow revolving door of here comes a D Malenko and a Chris Benoit. And you knew that nothing against anybody in the dressing room, but there are going to be a couple guys here, not here much longer because you've got a Chris Benoit and a D Malenko here. And then a psychosis and a 
uh, Mysterio or Juventud would come in and, and the same thing. And so there was this like slow, steady term from those early days in ECW, the very earliest days where, you know, there was a, a, a good solid local type show that was going on. And then there were these talents coming in, you know, that would not that long after become household names of professional wrestling. And for the fans that, you know, followed the Mel, Mel, uh, Meltzer and Keller sheets uh, and the online stuff, you know, were very familiar with these names, but had never seen them in America before. You know, it's not like today where you can just go to YouTube and, you know, pull whoever's name up and there's, you know, 10 gazillion videos of so-and-so that you just pulled the name up on. Uh, in 1993, moving forward, uh, you know, th this was the kind of thing, This that was quantum physics in those days. You know, so now you're suddenly seeing guys that, you know, you'd read about for years in the sheets and, and online, and now suddenly here they are in the ECW arena. And so you knew guys like Tommy Cairo and uh, a lot of the local talent there from the, from the Philadelphia area, you know, may be on their last legs as, as, as with each one of those turns, you know, that there was some incredible talent coming in. You know, I, for one, had never seen any of the Mexican wrestling other than, you know, I'd seen pictures and heard stories, but I'd never seen any of the, you know, the luchadors. And, you know, the first time they came to the arena and I saw it live, uh, it blew my, blew my boots off. You know, like, like my God, what these guys can do. Uh, you know, and so when you're, you know, do you keep a Tommy Cairo and let a, uh, Benoit, Malenko, uh, Guerrero, Juventud, Psychosis, Rey Mysterio, Conan go, uh, you know, so it was, uh, but you know, Tom, as far as your original question with, with Tommy Cairo, he was one of those guys that I always got along great with, uh, always had a great attitude in the dress room and always worked hard. Um, you know, but with what the, the the vision that we now know Paul Heyman had for ECW, we you can tell now certainly in hindsight, but even then, uh, not knowing what Paul's full vision was, but knowing it now, you could tell that at that time the door was going to be closing on a lot of those guys in, in due time. I feel like a lot of those guys kind of were there in the early days, and obviously then would kind of be. Uh, washed away, like you're saying, like a Tommy Cairo, uh, Rock and Rebel wouldn't really last. Uh, you know, obviously we we know the history of Rock and Rebel. He wouldn't last that long at that point. Donnie Allen, a lot of guys, probably your favorite guy of all time, the Godfather himself, Damian Kane. You know, like, uh, <laughs> do you think that a lot of those guys wouldn't have survived as ECW got more mainstream and uh, more TV? You think they would still would have been okay and serviceable on TV if we'd had the budget you know, to be able to keep a, a thick roster, you know, then, you know, I think there would have been a place for them on the show. Uh, but, you know, considering it, 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 when you're putting a show like this together, whether it's a small show like an ECW show or a big show like WWE, it, it's a ex very expensive endeavor to get involved in, uh, even for, you know, to, to run a bingo hall. Uh, you know, your post-production costs are exorbitant. Uh, the cost of the building, the insurances, the cost of the talent, getting the talent to the building and hotels. And, you know, it, it, you can see it very quickly adds up. And so 
again, if we'd had, you know, some billion dollar corporation behind us that could have allowed us to have a, a, a thick roster, I think a lot of those guys may have been able to stick around, albeit in suppressed rules. Uh, again, I go back to, you know, if, if you have your choice of selection, uh, you take, uh, you know, if you can only have three wrestlers stick on the roster, we'll just use that number arbitrarily. Do you keep a uh, Benoit, Malenko, Guerrero, or do you keep a, you know, a, a Cairo, a, a Kane, and, you know, uh, some, you know, one of the other local guys? You know, so it's 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 not a, a put down to anybody. It's just, you know, if you have a chance to get a quarterback, do you do you take a Joe McGillicuddy or a Ben Roethlisberger, uh, you know, or a Tom Brady? Uh, so the thing with ECW was at that time, especially, you know, the budgets were incredibly tight because of the fact that we didn't have that billion dollar company. And you know, there's a lot of pluses. That, that come from if you would have had that big thick budget and also some negatives you know because i think the the fact that we were so literally hand to mouth uh like I've, I've said multiple times over the decades you know had any one ecw arena show shit the bed that might have been the end of ecw that month because that ecw arena literally was the lifeblood for ecw uh but what that, you know, there, there, there's a, uh, how do I word this? There's a, a, a freshness that comes from knowing you have to deliver. You know, that your, your ass is being held to the account, your nose is to the grindstone. There's no room for error. But there's something refreshing about that. You know, you, your, your senses are heightened because you know you have to deliver. Uh, failure is not an option. And w- with that, so there's, you know, there's uh, some negative, <laughs> not going to lie and say there ain't a shitload of pressure that comes with it, but there was something real, something, uh, uh, life affirming about that, you know, that you're in the building that, you know, if, if we crap this show, the next time ECW really might be half full and that could be the end of the company. Ergo, you can't fuck up. You've got to deliver. Uh, and you know, I know personally speaking, there was uh, there were a lot of, like I said, a lot of pressure to it. But there was also something about having that kind of challenge and that kind of a gauntlet throwdown that helped you excel to a level you might not have, or pushed you to work harder than you might have if you didn't have that pressure. If that makes sense. Absolutely. And one thing I always think about with certain uh, promotions, like ECW, for instance, I don't know how much you would know about this or if it's the backstage politicking or some money exchanging hands, but like a guy like the Godfather, Damian Kane, and, you know, the rumor was that he might have had the wrestling license or, or the ring. And that's kind of why, you know, um, Heyman would put him on TV and put him in a, in a decent role. Obviously, him and his wife are both on TV. Do you know anything about that? Kind of like that backstage maneuvering, that backstage politics, and it, it is that true about Damian Kane? Did he have the, the, the wrestling license or, or something of, of why he was kind of used well on TV for a short period of time? I, I'd heard the same type of whispers. Uh, I, I don't know for a fact on any of it. Uh, I would tell you, knowing the business like I know the business and, and knowing ECW as I know ECW, it wouldn't shock me. That sounds very plausible. 
Um, you know, keep in mind at this time in Pennsylvania, uh, there still was a commission in force uh, that was at times flexing their muscles, you know, you know, bitching about the blood or the barbed wire or, you know, whatever. And, you know, we'd have to push the envelope as far as we could push it um, and hope that there was no blowback on it. So, if you know, I, I, I can't confirm that that's the case, but it certainly sounds to me like something that would, would happen, right? I mean, you have to have a license uh, in Pennsylvania. I think that's still the case today. Uh, but back then with the commission being uh, stiffer than it, than it is now, uh, back then that, you know, that would be something you, you couldn't get to the building and say, Oh, geez, we've got to have a, a license, but we'll, we'll just get it to the next one. If that happened, you know, like I said earlier about, you know, shit the bet on one ECW arena show could have been the end of ECW. So, I uh, can't confirm it, but it certainly sounds plausible. I feel like some things, especially in ECW, are done differently than some other places. And you know, whether that's Heyman or, or whoever, I always just find it interesting that, that some of those backroom deals and those politicking, you know, happened in ECW. But it wasn't anything that was a detriment or something that was negative. It was always something that was just kind of a part of, of how the business ran or part of daily operations. Not to say anything bad. It was just just, just an interesting business practices, but somehow always would work out for the, the betterment of ECW. Well, but, that, but that's the reality of it. You know, running a show that size, you know, again, if you have a Time Warner behind you, well, you know, you've got somebody in an office on the seventh floor that's already made sure the license is in place and the insurances are in place and you know, here's the plane tickets for the crew and, you know, you're off and everybody goes there and the ring will be there when you get there and set up and as will be the lights. Well, we didn't have that. You know, we, what we had was uh, the, uh, a strong portion of the guys on the card were also working on back scenes, uh, behind the scenes, working on business aspects. You know, like I was doing a lot of the promoting. Uh, uh, Bubba was doing a lot of promoting. I was promoting in the uh, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania uh, region. Bubba would do the New York, New Jersey, uh, Long Island areas. Uh, Florida, he also had Florida. Uh, Tommy was uh, doing uh, merchandise distribution. Taz was working on developing merchandise and creating the actual artworks. Uh, you know, so <clears throat> a lot of us were working on things beyond it. Joey Styles was on about 150 things uh, with production and promotions and you name it. Uh, so that's how a company that size works. Uh, you know, you, you, you can't just go out and hire a merchandising team because there's no money to do it. Uh, so your talent becomes in many ways, uh, those things and fills those rules. And, uh, you know, the stories are legendary now, right? Everybody's heard the stories of, you know, you know how the checks were delayed and the, and the tracking numbers on uh, uh, the FedEx accounts and, and that sort of thing. And that's the reason why. That, that all stems from having a budget week to week to week make this thing work because on it, you know, when you're running the business, you have to have a budget and you have to have the capital to move it forward from this week to next. And, you know, that again, I think shows though, 
the uh, the loyalty of the crew that we had there. You know, in every other promotion I'd ever worked for, my guess would be if somebody said in some of those promotions, hey, we need help promoting, you know, the Pittsburgh region. And then I'll say, well, good fucking luck in the other companies. And the ECW was like, okay, great. Let's roll our sleeves up and get it done. Uh, which, uh, again, I think now, after all the time passing, that's what lends to that family feel. You know, that uh, there was not, hey, something needs to be done. Who can do it? If something needs to be done, let's roll up our sleeves and get it done. Uh, which, uh, in its own way, works into the quality of the matches because, you know, if you've just busted your ass promoting a town or, you know, the merchandise distribution, the promotions or the marketing or whatever else. And now when it comes time to deliver the goods in the ring, the actual product, you're not going to fall down and say, yeah, I'm going to take it easy because I've already done my job for the week. Uh, you know, nobody wants to deliver a half-assed prod, uh, show or a half decent show. Everyone wants to deliver the grand slam. So, uh, you know, you've already been working on it for the last two weeks and whatever role it is that you're playing behind the scenes. Now let's go out and play that role in front of the camera. So, you know, it's all again, one great big happy family. Holiday Hill, 1994. You're in the semi main event, probably should have been the main event, but you are defending the ECW title against Ron Simmons, of all people. Do you remember that match at all? Can you tell us a little bit about Ron Simmons in ECW? Yes. Uh, you know, Ron and I had had a long history, you know, stemming from both being in the UWF at the same time. Um, that's where, of course, I got my break in the business. Ron was, you know, one of those guys that was known to the fans as being, you know, a real impact player, right? You know, you know, really big guy, an incredibly athletic guy. Uh, but he was also known from us in the business as being a great guy. You know, somebody that was fantastic on camera, eager to help learn, uh, help teach, I mean. And, you know, getting a chance to work with Ron, you know, somebody at that point I had known for uh, six, uh, six, seven, eight years. You know, maybe maybe eight or nine years. I, you know, it was a while that I'd known Ron, and Ron was, you know, really coming into his peak time at that point. You know, he'd had a great run uh, in the NWA, WCW, and uh, you know, here he was in ECW. So I knew going into the match that, first of all, as as the franchise character that there was uh it wasn't going to be the typical type of franchise match you know i wasn't going to go in there and you know get a ton of heat on ron simmons and you know and just you know play off that it was going to be sort of a, a, a reversal of of my old role as a baby face you know i'm going to be a bumping type heel, and that's i think where i really started portraying that aspect of the franchise character was you know this guy's gonna you know also have another dimension to him, you know, for those of us in the business, you know, you have the strong heels and you have bumping heels and, you know, early on the franchise character had sort of established that he's going to be this devious character. Uh, the guy that's going to use his skill, his experience in the business to his advantage and to the detriment of others. 
Uh, well, it doesn't really work when you're working with a guy like Ron Simmons, who had a strong uh, pedigree in the business. You know, was well known, uh, bigger, stronger guy. Uh, you know, so it, it forced me to have to change up my game a little bit, and you know, in hindsight, spread the parameter of the franchise character a little bit. So it's a little more broad, broad stroke. Uh, uh, you know, a little more facet to the character than just being the same thing that I'd been relying on, like saying that previous year, year and a half of this franchise character. Hey, let's pause for one second and remind you that today's episode is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Eat Your Coffee. Eat Your Coffee is a coffee company that was founded by coffee-deprived college students that pioneered a new category in caffeinated natural snacks. The company's first product line, Eat Your Coffee Bars, are a date-based snack bar caffeinated with fair trade coffee, which would be comparable to one cup, and made with real ingredients so you can feel good with every energizing bite. Eat Your Coffee snack bars are non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, kosher, 70% organic, and available in three delicious flavors, including fudgy mocha latte, salted caramel macchiato, and peanut butter mocha, my personal favorite. Now that is an energizing combination because they are on a mission to help get people energized with naturally caffeinated snacks made with real, ethically sourced ingredients. So if you want more information, head on over to www.eatyour.coffee, as well as follow them on Instagram, follow them on Facebook, follow them on Pinterest, and follow them on Twitter, and get all the information on how you can energize the moment with eat your coffee bars now ron simmons obviously not your prototypical ecw guy when you think of it you know the the more hardcore style you know the you of the world kind of don't fit in ecw as well if you kind of think about it more the wrestler but obviously you made it work and and things like that. Do you think Ron could have stayed in ECW made it work, or do you think that it wasn't no it was like a uh, – oh, okay. Yeah, no question. Uh, Ron, one of the things that I saw Ron, in my opinion, really blossom at in ECW was his promos. Let's face it, Ron was always a great promo, right? I mean, just a booming voice and uh, his presence on camera was always top-notch. But in ECW, suddenly – you know, you were getting the sense, you know, we'd all known, you know, from Jim Ross, you know, the way he used to announce, you know, of, of Ron Simmons' all-American background and, you know, his, his foray into pro football. And, you know, that was all there. The wrestling fans at that time knew what kind of pedigree Ron Simmons had and how legit it was. What I don't think they had seen from Ron Simmons until that point was Ron starting to create the Ron Simmons character instead of him just being a great athlete, former football player that's now in professional wrestling. Suddenly Ron Simmons was starting to add some, some working element to the Ron Simmons character. Uh, and, you know, I remember like one time him and two cold Scorpio, we had a tag match. I forget. It might've been me and Mr. Hughes against uh, he and two cold Scorpio. And the chemistry that those two had on camera was compelling to watch. It wasn't just like, okay, let's just see what these guys have to say. It was you wanted to hear what they had to say. And to me, that was where we, all that we've seen Ron Simmons do since and after in a prodigious career. Uh, to me, although he'd out, the experience, in-ring experience prior to that 
the Ron Simmons character that we all grew to know and love after that, I think had its roots in ECW. Now, it's, you know, obviously there's some guys that fit in ECW, some that don't. And Ron is always one of those guys that I thought like, oh, maybe that uh, fits better in WCW uh, or WWF. You yourself, I always thought like, man, this is great that this wrestler is going to go in there and beat all these guys. And you know what I mean? Like you and the Candidos and the Bam Bams of the world, you know, you, the wrestler is going to beat those guys. But then there's guys like, you know, Public Enemy that always stick out to me that are just fit ECW like glove. Perfect fit. Very fun. And they actually were the main event above the world title in this show. They beat um, Sabu and Taz. Do you think that that's okay to you? That, you know, the world champion on a big show necessarily isn't the main event and guys like Public Enemy get the nod? I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. And, and here's why. Because, uh, A, you know, again, you know, it's today everything's 2020 being hindsight, right? But go back into 1994, and you're talking about you're still, you know, ECW at that point was no guarantee yet. You know, we were building an audience, and we had a loyal audience, but we still didn't know if our penetration was Philadelphia, uh, uh, Eastern Pennsylvania, Eastern Seaboard, nationwide, worldwide. We had no clue what it was. Uh, and so we were still working our asses off to build that audience. And to me, you know, in the old way of doing things, the old school way of doing things, you know, you had the semi-man event was usually the world tag team titles, and uh, it might be a double uh, semi-man that has, you know, the women's champion or uh, the intercontinental champion or the U.S. heavyweight champion or whatever. And then, of course, the main event was always the world title. Uh, you know, by shaking it up like that, a, I think it helped elevate the tag titles in ECW, and I think that was something that Paul was brilliant at doing, was making tag team wrestling really mean something again. And for me, it, it, it took some of the pressure off. Not that I took that match any lighter than I would have had I been main event or semi-main event or opening match, but it, 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 in the broad scheme of things, again, looking back today to them, uh, it it definitely helped elevate the ECW tag titles and let the fans know that there is a dressing room full of talent back there that can fill that main event roster. That main event spot doesn't just come automatically with that singular heavyweight belt or, or world title. Uh, you know, that, and in some ways made, made it seem at least to the fans that that, main event spot isn't just a gimme it's not just a hand away or a, uh, you know a handout it's a legit spot and the thing that i was always impressed with in ecw not that we delivered every time because there were a lot of times that ecw didn't deliver but on the over and under if you're going to bet you know nine times out of ten you're going to you're going to win your bet if you bet that the main event's going to deliver in ecw and uh, Public Enemy certainly was very entertaining. They, they, had, they gave, uh, they delivered an aspect that the franchise character could. The franchise character was always a very serious character. And, you know, with their promos, you know, like them talking back and forth to each other, you know, walking down some, some street in the hood and, you know, some seedy side of Philadelphia uh, was entertaining as hell. 
but it also had a realism to it. It wasn't like, you know, two guys in front of a green screen, you know, pretending to be something. You could see in Teddy and Johnny that they were exactly what they were portraying. And that bled through. You know, you, you, you know, there are several parts of our business that you cannot fake. Uh, the realism of the character cannot be faked. That's why I always say if you try to make Shane Douglas a, a gay cowboy, I'd be very bad at it because I'm not gay and I'm not a cowboy. Uh, any more than I was a skateboard uh, rider or a, uh, uh, a college professor. Um, you know, but if you give the, the, somebody like Teddy and Johnny, which was so true to life as to what they were in real life, that bled through. And so by putting them in the main event spot, it served notice to the fans and the dressing room that just getting a belt doesn't mean you're getting that main event spot. And if you do get that main event spot, you damn well better deliver. Uh, you know, Taz and Sabu, obviously we're going to be able to deliver. Uh, and Teddy and Johnny, uh, likewise delivered in that main event spot. So it was a, I think it really helped create a well-rounded ECW and serve notice, like I said, every in the dressing room that, hey, that, that, that main event spot is a guarantee because you have a certain belt around your waist uh, or you're in a certain spot on the card. That You're in that main event spot because you're expected to deliver the goods. Yeah, I mean, you look at all the cards and every year that we've talked about here, I mean, and, and see what you've got. I mean, it's, it's such a cool balance. Everybody had their role. And you look at 96, so now you face Tommy Dreamer again. But this time we're going to throw a couple of the X-Factors in. And by the X-Factors, I mean Francine and Beulah. So it's Francine and Shane Douglas defeat Beulah, McGillicuddy, and Tommy Dreamer. So whenever you add Beulah and Francine into the mix, obviously it makes the war that much more intense. And at that point with that feud, see that? I got to say, that's my heyday of ECW right there is your feud in late 96 with Dreamer. Oh my gosh, just, uh, I absolutely loved it. That's when Terry Funk was brought back into the mix yet again. And when you throw Francine and Beulah into the mix, does it make the match more interesting for you in, in front of that crowd? Or or does it kind of give you the opportunity to let the girls now kind of have their uh, their little day in the sun? Oh my God, it, it added so much element, you know, so much more to play with. You know, Dreamer and I could go out in our sleep and have a good, have a good, good to great match. But when you added Francine and Bill into that, uh, first of all, kudos to both of them. You know, because you know Francine had had some training. Viola had almost none, other than going to the school here and there. You know, and and getting some training sessions. She had never been formally trained in professional wrestling. So when you go back and you watch her uh, doing things. Like there was, I forget what the match was and who was all involved, but she gives a hurricane run, a top rope hurricane run to somebody, and she comes down and face plants, breaks her nose. Uh, you know, now, uh, uh, Teresa Beulah was, uh, let's say, a pretty good-looking young lady, and, uh, you know, you, when you looked at her, you didn't gather that she was, you know, like a, like a tough guy, and yet the night that she did that, you know, most women that I knew outside of the business would get them, go, oh, I broke my nose, oh, my God, oh, I can't believe I broke my nose. Gula just kept right on going, boom, boom, boom. Didn't miss a beat. And she came back, and her nose was all spread out across her face and everything, and I thought, you know what? Keep, you know, both her and, 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 and Franny, 
were, you know, me and Tommy had a, had a lot of meat on us to take that punishment. You know, we, we 250, 60 pounds. Uh, Franny and Beulah were, you know, dainty little things, right? You know, I mean, beautifully built, but tiny, dainty little things that weren't built to take that punishment. And yet would go out there and, and Franny's first night with me get power bumped through a table. Uh, that's a that's not just an easy spot for anybody to take. That's for anybody to take that bump. That's a hell of a bump. And, you know, she never blinked at it. The same thing with Beulah when she broke her nose uh, and just kept on going. So from a performance standpoint, having those two involved gave us so much more dimension to the match. You know, for instance, you know, anytime I'd get Beulah paired off in that ring, everybody in the building is saying, oh, my God, this asshole's not going to do it. And all you got to do is just grab her by her hair and the place goes crazy. And then you have her drop down and give me a ball shot, right? And the place pops even bigger. It just adds so much element, uh, certainly from a heel standpoint, to play with. And, you know, then, you know, after doing that, now you leave it, of course, wide open for Tommy to, to give the quote-unquote receipt. You know, so Tommy Dreamer would never hit a woman right. But now that I've done this to his woman, it's fair game. And now he comes out and <laughs> grabs Franny and gives her the uh, the uh, the pile driver. Right? Is that the night he did the pile driver in the four the, the turn four ways? And uh, I I think uh, it is. And gave, <laughs> and gave the ECW arena a really nice extra show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so you know, gave so much more element to to play with and 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 to give the fans. You know, not today. I'd love to see how that would play off today with the whole Me Too movement, right? <laughs> it's, uh, oh my gosh! Uh, I, I, I think maybe it's what today needs is a great big dose of Beal and Franny and a and a mixed tag. Yeah, well, I mean, what I was going to say next was that you know we think of the image, we think of the voice of uh, of the great Joey Styles echoing through our brains. Whenever those two would uh, start mixing it up, and you hear the echoing of catfight, but what was it like in the arena when the two of them would lock up and start rolling around? Was that something where even though you're in the middle of your match, you got to kind of take a step back to kind of check out the action? Sure. <laughs> yeah, because because it, it would literally blow the lid off the place. You know, we there were always big pops in the ECW arena, but there were certain pops that would. You know, make you stand back and go, God damn, that's, that's cool, you know. And uh, watching those two go at it, again, not, you know, not a lot of formal training on the two of them uh, or, or between the two of them. And yet they would go out there and deliver the goods. And I, 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 I got to tell you, honestly, if you would have put me in that kind of position when I was very early in the business and had almost, you know, an equal amount of training to say what, like, say, Bill would have had. I'd have been terrified to go out there in front of that kind of an audience. I mean, terrified. And yet they went out and delivered in spades, you know. So, yeah, you know, for us, it was, you know, not just the time for us to catch our breath, me and Tommy, but it, it was a damned entertaining part of it because you'd see the excitement in the crowd, you know, the level of pop that it would get. And, you know, and and watch these two go at it and and just deliver the goods. It was it, 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 it was just something about it that just grabbed you by the ass. You know that like 
you know, firing on all cylinders. There's a point for, for anybody that's, that's in the business knows exactly what I'm talking about when I say the following. When you're in a match, regardless of how big the angle is or where it is on the card, whatever, there's a time when you get into the match where you can just feel it's hitting on all cylinders. You know, and it's, it, it almost becomes autopilot. Uh, that, in my recollection, that was what it was like when Tommy and I would have Franny and Bula in the ring with us. Uh, it was one thing down at ringside because you knew they were going to deliver great at ringside. Uh, but to have them in the match, you knew there was never a time you go to the ring like, well, uh, bite your finger. And I was like, I, I hope the girls don't fuck it up. That never was part of the equation. You always knew that those two were going to deliver the goods. And when they delivered it, that it was going to be an easy pop in the match. And once you get to that point, you know, you have that built in. Like I said a second ago, it just goes to autopilot and just sort of glides you on through to the finish. You know, and it's a, just it makes it a shitload of fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh, shitload of fun indeed. And uh, I got to say here now, it just we skipped over '95, obviously, because you weren't there for the '95 show, but you were getting ready to come back in early '96, in January '96, and we talked about that earlier this year. We talked about all the Brian Pillman stuff and what led to all the, the interesting stuff that happened in the year of 96 in the early part. But you were technically gone from the WWF at the end of December in 95. So if you can recall, do you know, had you talked to Paul about coming back around the time of that show, or was it kind of set in stone to come in in the new year? Well, I, we, I do remember that I knew I was coming back to ECW, at the moment I put my notice in WWF, uh, I don't recall off the top of my head if we had talked about when the return would be, uh, you know, just knowing, you know, that where I was at that point, I would have assumed that would have been pretty quickly that it wouldn't have been like a prolonged type of thing. Uh, but I, I do remember, no, remember I said a few minutes ago about, you know, people telling me, hey, do you know where we were 20 years ago or whatever? I just got, uh, in the last several days, uh, a text from a friend of mine who said, do you know where we were, I forget, 23 years ago or whatever it was, uh, today? And it was the, uh, remember I've talked about my last shot being in Madison Square Garden. That was the last time I... Uh, Dawn tights and even though I didn't wrestle that night and uh, went to the ring, but I did have to make one more appearance for them after, uh, before they would give me my release, they sort of dangled out that they needed me at a, at a taping in Hershey. And when I got there, in fact, that was the night that Stone Cold Steve Austin or at that time, the ringmaster was debuting that night in Hershey. And uh, when I got there, uh, I had my friend as a police officer go with me just in case there were any shenanigans or anything in the dressing room. And uh, they wanted me to perform, but I still hadn't, you know, I still hadn't gotten over the broken back yet. And, uh, you know, pretty much told, them, told Vince on the spot, I ain't performing tonight. You know, if you need me to go out and do a promo or whatever, that's fine. But he was trying to really pressure me into performing. You know, and, and I can't remember all the, the little comments, but it was along the lines of, you know, look, if you want your release, this is what you're going to do, blah, blah, blah. And I kept telling him, I, 
I wasn't going to go to that ring and perform and risk hurting my back more, you know, or, or like the doctor previously told me I ended up in a wheelchair. So that was the night that I went out with, uh, uh, buddy Landell and gave him the board of education and, and good riddance was, was happy to give it away. Uh, I think they wanted me to wrestle Ahmed Johnson that night. And that's when I, I told them you know, not happening. And uh, so then they ended up putting Buddy Landell in that spot. And we did something on camera where I handed him the Board of Education, and, and that was pretty much it and left. Uh, you know, so that that's uh, – so I know in December of 95, I was still finishing wrapping up there. So probably was not going to debut until into the new year in, in early 96. Just before, John, before, John, before you jump in, I just want to mention about that. We are going to cover that at some point in 2019, but not from what you're thinking, Shane. I want to go through from the the absolute insane shit that you've talked about a million times at the MSG show. I want to talk about the pay-per-view and what happened at the pay-per-view, the In Your House pay-per-view that was right before the Hershey show that you're talking uh, about. So we will talk about that in 2019 at some point. But, John, all right, it's all you. Take it away, partner. All right, Shane, I'm going to forego the AFA. Even though we have, do have a couple of good questions in the holster, I'm going to save them for 2019. Got a good AFA for you. Uh, excuse me. Don't, we'll save the AFA for you, and we, even though we do have good ones. But I want to do a little deal or no deal with you. And, and I'm just thinking <laughs> to get, get you back in the good grace of events. Okay. Well, really, in the good graces, it does be. Let's see here. We'll give you six figures. Vince is still alive. We'll give you six figures, but you get to be in charge of talent relations, and that's the deal. Deal or no deal? I can get to be in charge of talent relations? Yep. Uh, autonomous? Yes. Uh possible deal uh, i would love to work with some of the young talent and be able to help steer them and, and teach them as was taught to me uh yeah I, I wouldn't relish looking forward to going back but i i would really look forward to working with some of that talent up there for sure how about this you get to work with vince well not really with vince i guess <laughs> on the side of no vince, deal but... <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was going to say you get to be uh, in charge of creative. You get to help these guys, uh, you know, help this brand out that is kind of desperately in need of some creative uh, help. Uh, you know, I, look, all of these questions, I don't want to throw any cold water on this, but uh, it's, it's much like I've said about the same thing with the Hall of Fame. You know, for the fans who constantly bring this up, that sort of thing, uh, whether I'm worthy, not worthy, uh, <laughs> there, there, there's a realism to this, and that is that Vince McMahon and I do not get along. We didn't get along. We're not going to get along. We're people from different ends of the spectrum. Uh, so, you know, if they offered me $100 million a year to go create, if I had to work with Vince, that'd be about, I can't imagine more than a week or 10 days before we'd be motherfucking each other, and I'd probably be popping his eyeballs out. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, but you know, all that said, if, if Vince wanted, was, was going to leave and go do the XFL and didn't have to see or work with him or deal with him, uh, and his insanity, 
I would love to work with the talent they have. Like I've said a million times before, I ain't no fan of their show, but the, the, the level of talent and athleticism that they have in their guys up there and their women, especially, I would love to help be part of that. They help steer that and mold that and craft it in because I think they have so much more capability than what we're seeing. Uh, and the wrestling fan in me, fans know my feelings on sports entertainment, but the wrestling fan in me, the Uber Mark in me, uh, would love to see what these kids could create if they were just given a little parameter here, a little parameter there, pulled by the nose here or there like I was, like my generation was. What would they create then? Uh, with the athleticism that they all have today, I think with just a little bit of that, you know, nudge here, push there, pull there or here, uh, that they would create an incredible professional wrestling show. Uh, a, Vince Van can allow a professional wrestling show to, to break out in the middle of his sports entertainment set. Uh, so, you know, it's... Uh, if those parameters were there, Vince was off to one XFL and I didn't have to work with him and I had autonomy. But what you're talking about is pretty much like God's going to come down twice tonight, right? I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it ain't going to happen there. It, 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 that, that's what is Vince land. And that's why we've seen, uh, what we've seen in the last, you know, we're talking about these record low ratings now, but I mean, this is something we, how many times go back, Go on your computer tomorrow and see how many times in the last five years the WWE has had a quote-unquote new record low. It's all-time lowest rating. And then a month or two later, a new all-time lowest rating. And what, in the last three weeks, they've set two all-time new lowest ratings? Uh, so, you know, how much of that, is, again, it goes back to the rhetorical question I constantly ask. How much of that does Vince McMahon need to see before he starts to think, hmm, maybe, just maybe, I got it wrong? Um, I don't know. 97% <laughs> audience loss, and he ain't changed his mind yet. I don't know where 98% would make a difference or 99%, but I'm going to go out of the limb here play uh, uh, Karnak the Great, big, big Donnie Carson fan. Uh, I guarantee you before the end of the year, they'll set a new all-time low record. And into the new year, they'll set a couple more all-time new lows. Uh, this is the trend. This is what they're doing. This is what you get when you put on a consistently shitty, boring, awful show. That's how television works. Now you accepted the deal. Vince is off doing the XFL. Okay, so you you've got full autonomy. You're making decisions, but did you realize who your top lieutenant was at NXT when you took the job? No, who's that? <laughs> John, who's who is would it? That be, would that would that be one hundred Hurst Helmsley? No. <laughs> Good old HB Shizzle would be uh, one of your oh. lieutenants as well. Oh no. Nice. <laughs> As long as we can keep him from losing his smile or helping him find his hair, we can probably put a good show together together. But it's uh, barring that, I'm sure he's, you know, if he lost his smile before he lost his hair, 
I would imagine that now that he's lost his hair, he's probably lost more than just the smile. So, so you know, this time of year with the uh, you know being the the reason for the season, right? The Christ and Christmas, it tells you that there must be a God up there because <laughs> Shawn Michaels losing his hair. There's got to be a God in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could say hi to Triple H, and th- he can thank you for uh, his gimmick change in uh, 1999. He can thank you for that. And, uh, you know, taking orders from uh, the franchise might be something that uh, Shawn Michaels can do these days, being that he's yeah. in a uh, position to take all those orders from his buddy, uh, Triple H. So it uh, might be second nature for him. But, hey, let's wrap it up here. For episode 76, this holiday extravaganza, this was a ton of fun, a lot of laughs on this show, which is always, uh, which is a lot of fun. I appreciate uh, everybody having a good time tonight and looking ahead at the schedule next week, we're going to do a best of the entire year, looking back at some of the big moments that we've had and uh, some of the more uh, controversial and more talked about topics that we've covered on the show. And then the second best of that would be closing out the calendar, and into the new year. Not a fresh show, so one more best of is going to be the best of the guest stars. And if you think back at our guest stars, who do we have? We had Francine a couple of times. We had Vince Russo. We had Mikey Whipwreck. We had Justin Credible. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of... Dominic Danucci popped in for a little bit there. Yeah. So we had some great... Oh, and uh, this guy, uh, Mick something, he came on for a few minutes uh, not too long ago either. So a great year worth of guest stars. <laughs> And moving forward into a uh, even bigger 2019. So uh, just want to thank everybody for just taking a listen every single week and, and sticking with us and having fun. And if you want to reach out, please hit us on Twitter at the three thread pod at two man power trip at wrestling pal. And of course at the franchise SD and all the information for the website, TMPT of wrestling.com. You get all the download links, the YouTube links, uh, you're a hit on YouTube, Shane, whether people are going uh, right after some of the stuff you're saying or agreeing with you 100%. You are a, uh, a great YouTube personality. So uh, keep up <laughs> keep up the great work on this show. So I'm just going to hand it over to you. Let's wrap it up. I know the end of the year is approaching, so I don't know that there's much going on in, uh, in your neck of the woods, but I'm going to hand it over to you to take us out uh, for the rest of the year. It's all yours, partner. We'll see you in 2019. Hey, for the... For- for the entire team here, the Chadster and Jay Peaster, uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, taking the time out of their busy schedules to listen to the uh, Triple Threat podcast. It's been a hell of a fun year. Looking forward to 2019. And I want to wish, completely aside from the franchise character, I want to wish everybody out there the happiest, merriest holiday season, Christmas season, healthy new year coming up. Uh, we have a big 2019 planned thankful for you to have been with us for 2018 and squatter make it a safe one spend the time with the family and look forward to a great 2019 with everybody uh, on board merry merry christmas and happy new year god bless y'all thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling what the world is downloading